Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Movie Podcast. On today's show, we will be reviewing Solo, a Star Wars story. This podcast contains spoilers and strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Back to the Lights, Camera, Action Movie Podcast. Mike Winkler here with you, along with... Jason Kabasek, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad to be back here. Um, I hope everybody listened to our Avengers Infinity War podcast. That was quite the bulky one. Uh, yes, it was. That was our longest one to date, if I'm not mistaken. Two hours and eight minutes. Uh, Second of which, did you take a look at any of the stat line on that one yet? I have not yet. Um... Figured I'd give it some time to generate some hits, but um, again, thank you everybody for the continued success. Keep things going, but I have one thing to say. Still no feedback. Still no comments. Why? Uh, we really, really need your guys' feedback if we're to improve on this at all. We, we can't stress it enough. We can keep saying it and keep saying it. People just please comment. It could be a three-worded comment just saying, review this movie, you know? Just simply do exactly. that. Exactly. That's all you got to do. Take three seconds out of your time. Um, but uh, today's movie is Solo, A Star Wars Story, the second Star Wars movie in five months. Which I thought was a really surprising move on Disney's part because it makes me wonder, are they going to try and shove Star Wars down our throat now? Well, um, considering that now we're... Because we had, let's see, we had, once uh, Lucasfilms was bought by Disney, <coughs> The Force Awakens, Rebels, or Rebel One, or Rogue, Rogue One. One, sorry, um, Last Jedi, mm-hmm. and now Solo, and well, it was already announced for an Obi-Wan right. uh, movie, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Uh, yeah, and, and it's funny that you mention about too much Star Wars, because as of recording this podcast, I know we've been out a few weeks, and the box office has not been good. It's it's a thing, and people keep talking about it as Star Wars fatigue and this and that. But it's the general... People do not want... I mean, people... It, Star Wars is one of those uh, series that you have to have come out, like, once every few years. Well, the problem here, too, is not so much Star Wars fatigue. It It, it seems to me that... The marketing strategy for this film was not good. The movie was not... We didn't get our first teaser trailer till I believe, the Super Bowl. I mean, and that was when the movie was only a little more than two months out. You can't promote a movie strongly two months out for a big movie that costs... Which now they're saying is the Star Wars movie that costed the most money to make. And... Me and Mike both have our difference of opinions on this movie. Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I personally think it felt rushed. Well, the thing of it is, too, everybody should know the backstory on this by now, that the original directors, um, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who directed the 21-22 Jump Street movies, were initially part of this project, and Lucasfilm fired them with about 60% of the production in, and then Ron Howard was brought in to do extensive reshoots and basically finish the movie, which now he is given sole credit for, and Miller and Lord are given executive producer credit now. So this movie already had reshoots and a lot of production problems before this movie even came out. So we already knew going into this, we didn't know what we were going to get. The trailers were even confusing because we didn't know what kind of theme, what kind of way this movie was going to play out. Was it going to be more funny, more serious? You know, it was really hard to tell. Exactly. Um 
the movie suffered because of it. Um, uh, I, certain aspects, uh, yeah, I can I can agree on. This is where we kind of are back and forth on, but um, you know, there's 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 a lot of production issues on this movie, and I think uh, actually I don't know if you heard this story. Yeah. This story leaked out a few days ago that Kathleen Kennedy may be being relieved of her duties at Lucasfilm. Really? So the question's going to be now, who's going to be the next person to take over? Uh, Lucasfilm? Who knows at this point? Well, there was a rumor that Kevin Feig of Marvel might take that as well, but that rumor has been shot down. To me, that wouldn't be a good idea because one of the franchises would suffer because he can't put full focus on two different franchises. Exactly. So, I mean, as much as he's good at what he does, it's not a good idea to have him take control of two Honestly, major franchises. what you need is you need someone who's willing to be fully invested into Star Wars. Correct. And somebody that has a good um, a good background, you know. Some people have been coming forth saying J.J. Abrams only because he's rebuilt this universe when Lucasfilm bought it. And he, since he, now he's did seven, now he's doing nine. Would he be the right person to kind of get this thing on the right track after Solo's... Um, you know, financial woes, and it's, I mean, the movie didn't, didn't, it, it did fairly well critically, critics still liked the movie, a lot of the fans oh, yeah, still liked the movie. critically, yes, it was, it was rated as one of the better Star Wars movies that were made. Well, the movie has a lot of fan service, you know, and it has a lot of callbacks, and people liked that. Some people liked this better than Last Jedi, because they said it felt more like a Star Wars movie, but the other one felt not so much like one. Whereas, but, it, but you had more fans that prefer Last Jedi over this because right. it actually felt like a good movie. Well, the thing of it is, too, is that I'm not on the fence. The thing, I like Last Jedi. I like this movie. I'm, I'm not one of those people that's going to say, oh, I liked what they did over here and hate what they did here or over there or over there. I like what both movies did because I think the reason why i a little more partial to Solo is because, to me, it gave me a little bit of that prequel-ish kind of vibe, but it also had the original trilogy feel. Um, I, I, I guess I can see where you're coming from with that. It's just... It's time to let Sleeping Dogs lie on that. Stop trying to go for the original trilogy. Make it your own product. Well, I mean, it's okay to have the callbacks and do things in the middle, well, but... Well, yeah, but... There is such Stop a th- trying to make it feel like the original at this point. Well, I think the one thing people agree on with this movie is that it didn't necessarily feel like a needed story. There was nothing here that brought anything new to the forefront. It just felt like a story that was made just for the simple fun of it. There was nothing that really was going to advance the story or give us something intriguingly, mind-blowingly revealing compared to what we've seen before. Exactly. So, but... um. Yeah, between the production problems and this and that, uh, we do have, we have a good amount to break down here. So um, let's kind of divulge into um, the opening of this film. Um, it opens up with Han Solo riding a speeder through Corellia, running away from from some of um, some minions where he's going to find uh, Kira, his girlfriend. Yeah, which they're trying to escape from. Uh... They're trying to escape from their criminal lives. Correct. They want to get away from Corellia and live a new life without being like slaves, essentially. Because of, uh, you know, who was it? Lady Proxima? Correct. Takes them in, forces them to become slaves for, or not slaves, but become criminals for in exchange for food and protection. Yeah, speaking of Kira, wasn't it kind of nice to see Amelia Clark of Game of Thrones in this movie? Oh, yeah. 
I almost didn't recognize her at first until after uh, later scenes. You know, it's funny, too. A lot of people have noticed this, that if you look around at all the people of Corellia when Han's running through the streets, they all look dirty and grungy like they've been running through the mud. But yeah, you look at her and she looks perfect. I never I mean, really pick up on that. Yeah, she she looks clean. Her clothes look clean. I mean, this is this this is what Hollywood does. I mean, they want to make her look like a shiny new toy. Well, yeah, because she's a beautiful actress, and they know that she's the eye candy of the film. So therefore, they know they got to make her look and stand out in the picture. So that's well, of course, you know, but that's what Hollywood does. So that's no surprise. But a lot of people have pointed that out, and I wanted to wanted to bring that up. But um, yeah, I kind of I like this scene at the beginning because again, this this kind of provided that little bit of that fun Star Wars feel. You know, it kind of felt like one of those fun sequences out of the original trilogy. Yeah. Funny, quirky, especially when we um, we finally meet their master, Lady Proxima, which I did not expect her to be like a giant worm-looking thing. Which, what was it that they were after again? Um, they have that stuff. It was stuff. refined, um... It's hyperspace fuel, coaxium. Coaxium, thank you. Which is, which plays key into this whole story of this movie. It's what this movie's about, is the coaxium, essentially. Which they they had found uh, enough coaxium to essentially buy their freedom. Right, right. It's like one little one little uh, cell that they're holding. One little tube is like worth I think they said two or three hundred credits. I believe. It's more like six hundred credits. Yeah, something like that. And they and they eventually use that to try to buy their way onto an imperial freighter, a freighter. So, um, which they which you want to go into what happens with uh, Lady Proxima. Yeah, um, Han does that little trick with that little grenade. Oh, I'm holding a rock. I'm popping the grenade. And she goes, you did that with your mouth. That's a rock. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I heard what you did with your mouth. And he proceeds to throw it at the, uh, the window. window. Mm-hmm. And apparently we find out that they can't be in sunlight. Which causes Lady Proxima to go underwater, mm-hmm. which gives them enough time to... Uh, get away for the time being. Mm-hmm. Which leads into a pretty extended chase scene with yeah, the speeder. Yeah, leads to an extended chase scene and takes them to a uh, boarding facility. Yeah, it's an Imperial Navy facility, which, again, you know, I, I, we're, we're seeing really how much control the Empire really has at this point. Cause this movie, I believe, takes place um, a good, I think, from what I heard, a good ten years, or a good five or ten years before Episode Four when we get Harrison mm-hmm. Ford. Um, so this is probably pretty fresh off of maybe the Empire's been running things about 10 years at this point after episode 3, 10 or 15 years. Yeah, and then you've got uh, the that coaxium comes into play because they try and bribe the Imperial officer um, that's in charge of the gate to let them through. Right. And they are able to successfully bribe her uh, you know, to get them passage on an outgoing transport, but as Han goes through, Kira gets caught by the pursuers before she can board. What a shame. I'd be sad, too. I'd be sad, too. You know, obviously, Han vows to return to her. Um, he doesn't have any income whatsoever. He has no way to. He wants to find his own ship and fly back to get her. Um, which which, which causes us... him to, uh, you know, join the Imperial Navy as a flight cadet. 
which leads us to finding out how he gets his last name Solo. Which I thought was awesome. What's your name, Han? What's your last name? I'm not really from anywhere. Ah, Solo. Riding Solo, which, again, that, that fits... It's a good fit as to how he gets his name. Yeah. Han Solo likes to ride Solo until he meets Chewie. Okay, so we jump three years later, and we're jumped into a Saving Private Ryan kind of sequence. No, this is after Han got expelled from the Flight Academy uh, for insubordination. And that sounds typical, Han. Yeah, he's being an infantryman right now during battle on... uh, Mimban? 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 Me, 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 I don't, I, I think Mimban. Mimban. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where he's going to run into Tobias Beckett, played by none other than Woody Harrelson. Which, uh, me and you are going to disagree on Tobias Beckett. Okay. I thought, yes, they, the character was good. I thought they overplayed the absolute hell out of him. And so many different twists and turns by the end of this movie involving Tobias Beck, and I'm like, at that point, I'm just like, get the fuck off my screen. Well, what's kind of funny is, I knew how his character was going to go when I first saw him in the trailer. It's a matter I, of, I knew. It it's was... a matter of, real, come on. It, like, it, this is like M. Night Shyamalan levels of, what a twist, guys. Well, there really is no twist here because, again, he he has that line in the trailer where he says, no matter what, trust nobody. As soon as I heard him say that line, I was like, he's going to turn bad by the end of this movie. I know it. It was not It was not a surprising twist. It was very heavily predictable. Yes, but it was the amount of shit that happened in like the last like, 20, 30 minutes of that film. Well, there's a lot of back and forth stuff. I mean, the the, the last it, act, the, was, it the, could have gone without all that. Some people have said, and I agree that the 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 third act feels a little anticlimactic. It was because really the whole um, Kessel Run kind of feels like the big finale, and then we're led into this whole sequence with um with uh, Enfy's Nest and Drayden Vox and and stuff like that, and we, we fall into a just your kind of run-of-the-mill fight scene at the end between Han and, 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 and Dryden. It just feels like just, eh, it's okay, whatever. And, uh, I mean, I like the ending of the movie. I like, I like the last five minutes, you know, how Han gets the, the Falcon back from Lando. and yeah. I like that sequence, but yeah, the third act feels a little anticlimactic, and I think it does hurt the final act a little bit until we get to a big reveal cameo that I like that we'll get to that made the made a lot of the movie for me because I just thought, thought it to be a really cool little oh, yeah. cameo. Alright, but after, you know, meeting uh, Tobias Beckett, um, finds out that, you know, he's not an actual captain of the Imperial Army. He is a uh, criminal. Infiltrating the Empire for the coaxium for fuel, or for the money through to, through to get to Dryden. Yeah. Um, this is where uh, Beckett... This uh, is where on, well, this is where um, uh, Han tries to blackmail them into allowing him to join. Yep, and he gets arrested and gets thrown in a cell where we see a monster. And you know that monster slash beast just happens to be a uh, a Wookie, and I'm sure you guys have heard of him by the chance. His name is Chewbacca. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, isn't it kind of cool, too, that Han actually knows some of the language, too? Yeah. That's pretty cool. I mean, to be honest, I kind of thought, like, Han was going to have to learn this language, so it's kind of cool that he just he just knew um, the language. It's really kind of cool. And how he kind of persuades Chewbacca to get yeah, him out the of the two cell. Yeah, the two stage to fight uh, and use that distraction to escape after they collapsed their cell. Mm-hmm. That was a really cool sequence. I liked that opening oh, yeah. and how they met each other. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that leads to them escaping, and turns out they do get on the ship with Tobias Beckett and his crew of Band of Brothers and his wife, Val, which are going to be very <clears throat> short-lived two characters because they're going to die in the next big sequence anyway. Which, this, I'm going to go ahead and let you take over for a few minutes here. Okay, so... Um, at this point, we advance to a cool little campfire sequence where we're getting to know Beckett's wife, Val, and uh, Rio Durant, the little four- or five-armed creature, which, for me personally, I was disappointed to not see more of him. I was disappointed that he died in the way he did so soon. Um, he was a funny yeah, he was a funny character. He was a, he was a character that I would like to see him hang around a little bit. I think he might have given the movie more of a comedic relief. Because the only comedic relief we really get after this is a little bit from Lando's droid and a little bit from Lando. Uh, I mean, Han provides his moments of humor, but not to the degree that this character, Rio Durant, does. Um, so uh, we're getting this campfire sequence, and uh, you know, we're, we're getting to kind of uh, get to know everybody. Uh, Beckett uh, hands Han his famous blaster, which I think is... Very, a very nostalgic callback fan service moment, but it's a, it's a necessary moment, of course. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of nice to see him get his blaster and, and, and then see, you know, him meeting Chewbacca. I mean, again, we, we, we go back to the point of, you know, the movie, this movie really wasn't needed, but they made this movie, I think, literally, they knew that this was not important. They just wanted to make something fun for the fans to maybe basically hold this over until episode 9. Yeah, like, the issue I have with this is the fact that they literally made this to just hold us over. Like, if they're going to make a Star Wars movie, they need to make something to really, you know, kind of impact it. Well, yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stories to tell. I mean, I, I would find, like, Yoda movie very informative. I'd like to learn more about Yoda and the time that he first kind of became a Jedi. That's something that I feel like the Star Wars story could use. Um, and uh, what's kind of funny about this too is that we, we've heard about these new um, these new Star Wars trilogy projects they're working on. We have the Ryan Johnson trilogy that we don't know what that's about yet, but that's supposed to come out. Uh, we're hearing the first movie might come out in 2020. Uh, we might get we might get two Star Wars movies in one year. We might get Ryan Johnson's Star Wars trilogy first movie, and we might get Obi Wan in the same year, which is fine as long as we get quality movies out of this. And you know why not release one in January and one in December? Therefore, we're getting them kind of both at the tail end of the year, and they're spread out or somewhere within that shape or form. Um, but now we're hearing that the creators of Game of Thrones, you know, they were also given a trilogy by Lucasfilm. Um, we are hearing that that may, in fact, be Knights of the Old Republic. Really? Yes, we are hearing that they may, in fact... Amelia Clark was doing an interview, and she had said that those guys are basically going to make Star Wars on acid. They, she literally quoted that. Star Wars on acid. And um, 
people have been looking at the little subtle hints. They said if you look at the little Easter eggs in Solo, you hear about certain characters and relics and you see things in the background that are in Knights of the Old Republic. Oh God, yeah, that that would make a perfect trilogy. We, I, me myself, I have said that we need that. That series is huge. That basically is the building blocks to the whole Star Wars saga, right there. That is your, that is basically your beginning. That is your beginning, and and it would be really nice if this does in fact happen. We haven't gotten no confirmation on it yet. Right. We'd be set. We'd have our stories really leading up to episode four, five, six. Correct. Well, the thing is, too, is that if you look at if you look at Lucasfilm's current slate of Star Wars films, ones they have formally announced, we know Obi Wan's probably coming, but it hasn't been formally announced yet. But what we know is coming at the moment. We have episode nine in December of 2019. In 2020, we're supposed to probably have as of yesterday, Ryan Johnson said to expect his first movie in 2020, but we've also heard Obi-Wan could come out in 2020 as well, so we don't have any really any confirmation there. But they also recently, two weeks ago, right when, right when Solo came out, they did formally announce a, a Boba Fett, a Star Wars story, and it's going to be written and directed by the same guy that just did Logan, James Mangold. So that's interesting as well. That might be an interesting story um, to because there's a lot of holes in Boba Fett's story. We have not seen Boba Fett since Episode 2, and we don't see him again until, well, Episode 5, but if you watch the special edition special edition of Episode 4, he is, in fact, in it in that new Jabba Han scene in front of the Falcon on Tatooine. Um, so we know that that Boba Fett movie's coming. We don't know what year that's coming in, but we know that's happening. And then we have the Game of Thrones trilogy guys, too, as well. We don't know anything about those yet. Um, but see, that's what the slate was when Solo was coming out. The problem here is now is that if Kathleen Kennedy does, in fact, get let go, does this change all the plans that we were set up for? I really hope that isn't the case, because if this is all set in stone, we need to let this happen. Mm-hmm. What I personally think we need to have happen is hold off on the Ryan Johnson trilogy until after we've gotten a Knights of the Old Republic. Well, the thing is, I, I would I would agree with you on that. The only thing with that is that the Ryan Johnson trilogy apparently is already coming out of pre-production and getting into casting and production really soon. So that's going to happen probably right 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 after Episode Nine is wrapping up here in the next six eight months or whatever. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this is this is a good story because the reason why Solo is so crucial to this is because, unfortunately, the financial woes of Solo is now leading to Kathleen Kennedy's downfall. Now, there's a backstory to this. I don't know if you know the Kathleen Kennedy backlash stories, but a, uh, do tell. A lot of people feel as though she has had a feminist plan coming into this because if you look at almost every Star Wars movie she has made so far, it's female power heavy. Yeah, that's true. And they feel like she has a feminist agenda with this, and she's getting more political. It, you really felt it mainly in this film with uh, L3. Right, right. 
she, the, the little things she, little little quirks or little lines she was bringing up about kind of, kind of like almost a female empowerment, or the references to ro- robot bestiality is kind of referencing the whole immigration kind of thing. There's little subtle hints in here where you can see the little bit of the political agenda she's trying to throw into these movies. Exactly. And and to me, that's a problem, because you you shouldn't be throwing in your political views into a film because you have to realize that you have people on both sides of the political spectrum. And to throw that stuff into people's faces that are, don't believe in that, that that makes them feel turned off by it. They don't want politics thrown into a film. If it's a political film, fine. But these are not political films. These are films made by everybody. I mean, if you want to think about it, they're technically political films. But they're make-believe political films. Yeah. We don't need real life thrown into this. We want to go to the movies for escapism, not to hear what we hear on the news every flipping day shoved down our throats. Exactly. But um, they think that's the reason why she might be on her way out, because fans are very unhappy with this, and they feel like that she was kind of threw Solo to the side, because Solo was the first male-driven movie that she's done with Star Wars, and it was the movie that was the least respected as far as marketing was. There's this reoccurring trend here. Yeah, and it... This is probably going to come back to hurt her a lot. It very well might. And I, I hate to say it, people. a lot of women are going to be pissed. The chances are a man might be hired to be the new president of Lucasfilm, which, you know, it is what it is. Because if, if this was her agenda, she did it to herself. But enough of that. So let's get back to the film. Okay, so after so now this we're campfire at the, sequence. Yeah, now we're at... Uh, the heist on Vander One. Yes, this is a really cool kind of um, train heist sequence. This is a very heist-like, western-like kind of sequence with a little bit of a space train heist, something you see out of a western. Yeah. Yeah, kind of neat. Um, this is this sequence leads to our first run-in with, the, uh, with this group that has been hunting down Beckett for quite a long time, and it's uh, Enfy's Nest. Well, no, the criminal gang you're thinking of is the Cloud Riders. Yeah, they go to the That's Cloud Riders. That's the leader of the Cloud Riders you're thinking of. R- right, yeah. But Enfy's Nest is is Beckett's primary, like, uh, nemesis. You can tell there's a little bit of history there because there's a big fight on the train, too, between the two that feels very personal. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to learn a little bit more of that backstory, which we don't really get, which, is, which to me, that would have done the movie maybe a little bit more justice. Yeah, but at that point, you're moving away from... Solo. Solo. Correct. Yes, that's true. Um, but yeah, so this was a really cool sequence, and, and this sequence goes on yeah, for it, a good 8 to 10 minutes, I'd say. It was a nice sequence. It was good. You obviously had the, you know, obvious hitch in the plan, which caused... Um, two deaths. Two deaths, was it? Val and Rio. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Val gets pinned down by a bunch of uh, Imperial droids. Had, or... was, the ship was um, infiltrated by one of the Cloud Riders. Mm-hmm. Rio went to go um, get rid of them, and he ended up getting shot right in the back. Poor Rio. I thought he would survive that. When he initially got shot, well, they got shot in the shoulder blade or something, and then it turns out it looks like the shot went through and through, and he just... Yeah. Just died, so it was a bummer to lose his character. And then Val gets blown up. She blows herself up because she's pinned on the um, 
underneath the rail by some Imperial droids, and she has to blow it so the train. Can... Which that was her own. That was her own doing there to try and save. Right. Uh, Beckett and the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we lose these two characters pretty early on. I did not necessarily expect that to happen that quickly. But uh, in the end, it ended up letting them get the shipment of Coaxium that they were after. Yeah, that doesn't go too well because Han has to pilot the ship and the shipment goes kaboom because the only way they can save them all before hitting the mountain was to release the cables. Correct. So now they're in deep shit with Dryden and the Crimson Dawn Syndicate. Yeah, because Beckett revealed he was ordered to steal the shipment uh, for Dryden Voss. Played by none other than Paul Bettany, who is our very own Vision from Avengers. Which, that was a nice little touch. Yeah, so now we got Paul Bettany in Marvel and Lucasfilm. One big happy family. When you're all owned by Disney, what do you expect? Well, I don't know if you know this, too, that initially, um, Paul Bettany did, was not playing this part. Oh, really? Um, actor Michael K. Williams, he was playing this part, and he actually filmed his scenes with the uh, Miller and Lord as directors. Mm-hmm. And when Ron Howard came in, he wanted to do reshoots for the character, and Michael K. Williams wasn't available. So he had to drop him, and he had to bring in Paul Bettany to do the, scene, or do the scenes and do the part instead. Yeah. So that was not the original plan, but it, I, you know, in the long run, maybe it worked out for the best. We'll never know, because we'll probably never see those scenes. Because if I know Disney, they probably will not release those deleted scenes of anything that Miller and Lord probably did, because they want to forget that that vision even exists. Well, they might. It's possible. Maybe considering the movie didn't do well, maybe they'll sneak in a Miller and Lord cut to boost the the sales of the of the Blu-ray. I don't I don't know. That's very possible. Um, it's definitely possible. I heard that uh, Disney did in fact cut together a Miller and Lord trailer for this movie that was supposed to be ready for um, I believe for Comic Con before Last Jedi came out, and yeah. they ended up pulling it from Comic Con at the last minute. So that Miller Lord trailer does exist. Okay. I'd like to see that trailer. Which, I don't know if you knew this, too. Just random little tidbit here, Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did you know that Woody Harrelson was picked over Christian Bale to play Beckett originally? Yeah, there were a lot of people that were trying out for, the, well, the role of Woody Harrelson's part, uh, Han Solo, I mean. But, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, though, could do, do you think that would have even worked better? Uh, I don't know. It might have. Never know. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting to see, um, what the difference between Miller and Lord and Ron Howard's cut are, but, uh, so anyway, so as we get to this, we finally get our first run-in with, with, uh, Dryden Voss, where they have to tell him that they failed, and Beckett's worried that they're going to kill them because they failed. And he was going to. Until Han came up with this idea how to steal more coaxium. Which ends up leading him to which ends up really leading to uh, Han letting them know that uh, there, or really him and Kira as we find out mm-hmm. is part of the Crimson Dawn yeah he runs into Kira and he's very surprised to see her considering now she's working for the Crimson Dawn Syndicate but as far as we know she wants to get out of it and run away with Han but that isn't going to be so much the case later but 
we end up finding out from them that there is a large amount of uh, unrefined coaxium right. on a planet called Kessel. Ah. As soon as I heard that brought up, I was like, we're in fact getting the Kessel run. We're actually going to see this thing go down. So, um, But before they can get there... They have to get a ship, and that's going to lead us to none other than Lando Calrissian and the Millennium Falcon. Which, this was great. First of all, Donald, Donald Glover... Donald Glover playing Lando Calrissian, I thought, was a spot-on thing. There's only one other person that could play it better than him. Billy D. Williams. That's it, because he basically embodies Billy D. so much that literally, if you close your eyes and you listen to him talk, you would swear... It's Billy D. Williams. You would oh, swear yeah, that it is. Yeah, exactly. He plays it well, that he's well. He's got all the mannerisms and everything too. Oh yeah, and the way he right wears the uh, the cape and everything and the outfit, it, it's perfect. And they this is where they really did a fantastic job. I, people have their qualms about the guy playing Han Solo. You know, yeah, he might not be very reminiscent of Harrison Ford, and I get that. I don't think you'll yeah. ever find anybody that's like Harrison Ford. But well, no, you're never going to find anyone that's going to be like Harrison Ford playing no. Han Solo. No, but but this but, but this was perfect. Like, this casting. whole sequence leads to Han uh, challenging Lando to a game of sabak for Lando's ship. Yeah, and Han lies about having a ship to get into the game. And you know everything seemed to have been going well, but problem is, I. Lando seemed to have been able to pull off uh, that hand that, you know, was impossible to do. It was, like, only the only way to beat Han's hand that he had. Mm-hmm. We ended up seeing little cards slipping out of his hand for by, uh, was a little mechanism that he was able to trigger? Mm-hmm. He literally had a trick up his sleeve. Quite literally. Which I thought was interesting to see, because I figured that might have ended up coming into effect later on in the movie. Right. All right, I'm going to step away for a second, leave Jason to talk about a little bit about how we get our first interaction with the Falcon and Lando's bot L337. All right, so we end up... What this ends up going originally with uh, L337 was that uh, there were droids that were fighting in a ring. Uh, essentially, it's almost like UFC for droids. Um, she's sitting there ranting and raving at everyone, pretty much going about you know protesting the whole thing, going for like droids' rights and all that. And it's obviously similar to all the events that are going on politically right now. Uh, but after we get everyone to the Millennium Falcon finally head to Kessel, uh, after reaching the planet, um, they infiltrate the mine, and L337 is in charge, you know, trying to provide some sort of distraction to let them be able to get down into the mines more to get the coaxium. And what does L337 do? Why, none other than instigate a riot. And do you want to go ahead and take over here now? Oh, the riot. Um, yeah, uh, the prison break riot 
Um, I mean, you know, we. To me, you want me to be honest. L three three seven is Kathleen Kennedy. May as well be. She's Kathleen Kennedy. I. That's what it feels like to me. Uh, but I mean, it was effective. It did work. Mm-hmm. Like it did give them enough confusion so that way they could get the uh, amount of unrefined coaxium that they needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what happened here afterwards after they got the coaxium finally? Um. Well, Chewbacca splits off. He finds a few other Wookiees, so he separates from Han, where Han grabs it and pushes through, but he comes back to him, of course, with some... Wookie help, and um, they're trying to get off the planet. And while the robots are rebelling, all of the other uh, Kessel people are shooting at them, and this leads to one big sequence where there's just guns and stuff flying everywhere. You see L337 pretty much get blown apart. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, she literally gets her whole bottom half just... Shoots off, and when he when when uh Lando goes to save her, her whole body just comes apart from the head. Hey, he goes to try and drag her off. He gets shot in the arm. Mm-hmm. Which then you see Han and Chewbacca both run out there to try save and save him. them to get in, into mm-hmm. the ship. So yeah, so it seems like Lando kind of owes Han a huge favor. Hey, so after they get into the ship. Uh, Han's piloting and they now have to make the uh, infamous Kessel run in less than 20 parsecs if they're going to be able to uh, get to what uh, Savarine? There we go, Savarine. Uh, In order to get to Savarine in time to refine the Coaxium. Essentially goes nuclear. Uh, one more thing about L3 we forgot. Yeah. Um, the scene where she's talking to Kira in the, the Falcon, when the, the two of them are sitting there, and she's talking about her and Lando's relationship, and she's referencing about how, oh, I've thought about it, you know, and then Kira asks, oh, how, how is that possible? And she goes, it's possible. The whole the whole yeah. joke with the whole human-robot oh, yeah. relations. Yeah, weird, but funny. It was interesting. Meh, at best, though, I thought. I didn't think it was all that funny. You want to know what's weird, too? Did it feel odd to you watching Han and Kira's relationship, considering we know about the whole Han and Leia thing? Didn't it just feel... Yeah, it felt kind of weird saying that. It's like, how is this going to end badly? Like, what exactly is going to happen that causes this to end? Right. I mean, this is this is why you know we we hear about the rumored uh, sequels to Solo if we get them because there are some running running things that we could that they can make sequels off of, including the big reveal that we're going to get to at the end of this. Um, but I can kind of understand why Han, after Kira betraying him, I can kind of see why he is kind of cold. Like in Episode Four, he's very cold. And he eventually warms up to Leia because he's never felt that way about somebody probably until Leia came along. Yeah. But yeah, I just found it to be really odd. You know, we're watching these romantic inter- interactions between these two, and it just felt like I don't know, felt different. I don't, but but I mean, it worked. It worked, especially with her b- bitter betrayal. I mean, yeah, it worked, but 
it just... It just didn't feel right to me, I thought. Well, especially if you if you if you put bring the dice into the equation. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Mhm, cuz he gives him to Kira and it seems to be all revolved around Kira and then eventually, you know, like at the end of Last Jedi. Remember how symbolic it was for Luke to give Leia the dice? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. Gives that a whole different meaning now. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe the movie does. This movie does provide a little bit, little bits of, you know, the little hints of everything that's about that's gonna happen in the future. Maybe not completely pointless as far as storytelling is concerned, but there are little bits in here that, you know, that oh, do course. feel the do feel like they fit pretty well into this. But you know, going back into this. Uh, Obviously, with Han being able to pilot as well as he is, uh, it'll let them get away from the Imperial blockade and get to uh, Savarine in time to unload the coaxium and get it started on refining. Right. Yeah, this is where they end up using L3 and putting her into the navigation computer, which um, brings me to another reference. Somebody, I read this, somebody brought this up, and I didn't realize it until now. In Episode 5... Um, when C-3PO's in the cockpit with Han and Leia, he brings up about how the computer, the navigation computer inside the Falcon, has a little bit of an attitude. Mm-hmm. So now we know why. Before, Ex- that reference was just a reference, but now we actually know Exactly. Why. So another little cool little reference that's played up later. Uh, but yeah, he uses the navigation computer to help them navigate through the, uh, the storm. Um... Which leads us to the Empire showing up, and Han has no choice but to enter into the Maelstrom, where no ship has ever come out of before, and make this Kessel run in less than 20 parsites to get to Savarine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the big Kessel run. The, the thing we've heard about in every Star Wars movie post-Episode 4. Um, we finally get to see it. What did you think? I thought it was interesting. I thought it was good to see them go, go through the Maelstrom mm-hmm. in order to try and cut through in order to get to Savarine in time to get away from Kessel mm-hmm. and be able to get out of there and within that 20 parsecs. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny, that too, because some people seem to think it's a lie because that line that he tells Chewbacca, Chewbacca says something, he's like, he rounded up or he rounded down. So how exactly did he make the run? Was it one big lie as far as time, or what was it? I don't know. I guess we'll never know, because we can't understand Wookiee language. Exactly. Um, but yeah, this was a really cool cool, cool visual sequence. I, I think that that was... Um, I mean, just looking at this scene as a whole, the special effects in this movie were pretty damn flawless. I mean, yeah, they were top-notch. I mean, I even found some of the effects in this movie to be slightly better than Last Jedi's. I thought that was interesting, but... Alright, so... We're on Saverine now. And... We see... Uh, Dryden Voss, along with the rest of the... Uh... What was it, the... Crimson... Crim- well, the shit. Crimson Dawn. Crimson, Crimson Dawn. Who gives a shit. Yeah, we see the rest of the Crimson Dawn that will come along with Dryden Voss on 
their ship. But before that happens, Enfy's nest shows up. Was that beforehand? Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Enfy's nest shows up and explains the situation. Um, once they kind and of explains learn... explains really that, you know, they're not trying to... What is it? They're not trying to um, kill anything. They're trying to save... Trying to save people. They're trying to save people. Which, which, from what we hear in dialogue, it seems to be the building blocks to the Rebel Alliance. And they're using the Coaxium to help with their ships. Mm-hmm. Will help with uh, outrun the Empire and outrunning the Empire, helping fund their rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So therefore, you know, Han starts to believe in this, and uh, he tries to convince Beckett to go against Dryden and the Crimson Dawn, but. Beckett wants nothing to do with it, and says so that... So Beckett said he's going to Tatooine. Where there's a new where there's gangster a, squad. A new gangster squad that he had one last job for. This is going to be his last job. Which we know who that's going to be. That's Job of the Hut. But um, so after this, uh, this is the whole thing with Voss and the rest of the Crimson Dawn coming in. Mm-hmm. And them coming up with a plan to being able to get the money still and get away. Right. Um, Han comes in with the, with all the coaxium. Uh, Dryden wants wants him to show it to him. Dryden looks at it and basically figures out that it's fake. And uh, that leads to us finding out that, that Beckett, in fact, turned on them and informed Dryden that it was indeed a setup. Uh, which, again, I, th- I think we kind of almost all saw this betrayal coming a mile away. Yeah, then Han, you know, let everyone know that he's, he already anticipated that Beckett was going to deceive them. Right. Uh, we find that we get ends up cutting to uh, Voss having them open up the containers that were out there, out on the planet, mm-hmm. and finding out that, you know, they're empty. Mm-hmm. Han really had brought the real coaxium with him. Right, he brought the real coaxium and these nest traps uh, Voss's men, and now we're in a situation where uh, I think as Beckett puts it, only one of us can walk out of here with the coaxium. So Beckett turns on Voss and, and, and Han, and he leaves with Chewbacca, using him as a hostage to take the coaxium away, which leads to a big showdown between Voss and uh, and and Han and Kira is involved in this little bits and pieces too. Yeah. Um. Not not a bad sequence. Not a bad fight. Just again, it does. It, it, this sequence didn't feel like an end of the film type sequence. It felt like a middle of the film fight scene. Yeah. Didn't feel like there was any consequence to this. No, it's just like we said that uh, it, that castle run really felt like the end sequence. Right. It felt like the end of the movie. Um. It almost feels like maybe like it'd be kind of cool that if, if Voss would have showed up on Kessel. And this would have gone on on Kessel, and then the end of the movie would have been the Kessel run. Exactly. That would have been kind of cool. But considering how this plays out, especially with Kira's betrayal and everything, I guess that would have felt kind of weird, and maybe the the sequence of events would have felt odd. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, first Kira looks like she's going to turn on Han. Then she turns around and she kills Voss. And she tells Han to go to the ship. She'll be right there. But that's not her plan at all. It isn't at all, because we find out that uh, Kira 
ends up taking the ring that uh, Voss had on him, mm-hmm. uh, used it, put it into that uh, communicator. Mm-hmm. And it closes all the windows in the facility and brings up a, a hologram with a dark figure with a very dark voice. Which, the voice we never had really heard before, which was interesting. Not enough to really So it's enough to it. figure out, you know, like, who is this? Is this going to be an... Is this going to be the one that's really behind everything for the next solo movie? Yep, and here we find and out. Then we find, and then we get him removing his hood. And it's none other than Darth Maul from The which, Phantom Menace. That was the best thing about this movie, I thought, because this entire time people were thinking that, you know, how could Darth Maul have survived? He was cut in half by. Obi Wan, correct, and the in Phantom Menace, mm-hmm. he, there was no way he could have survived. I personally had my thoughts that you know there had to have been some way, some possible way that he survived. Um, there's there's a story. Uh, her, his character is brought back in the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels uh, animated series. Yeah, but and it's that his halves were brought together by, um, what was it, a robotic form. Yeah, uh, robotic parts. He, he, his body was found. And he was put the, back together and stuff like that. And if you look at his um at his legs in this uh, sequence in the hologram, you will see his legs are robotic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um. So yeah. So we find out that Darth Maul is in fact running the Crimson Dawn Syndicate, which is a huge reveal because you kind of almost have to wonder why didn't he go back to you know, the Emperor and be a part of the Empire. Why is he running the Syndicate instead? Yeah, it really makes it wonder, like, what does he have planned with all of this, then? Mm-hmm. This is a big reveal, and I'm hoping that we're going to get some insight into this. The only theory going around right now is that we may see him again in the in the um, Obi-Wan movie if we don't get it a solo sequel, which right now, with, with Solo not doing so well at the box office, we have to kind of wonder if a solo sequel is even going to happen at this point. But I don't feel like the, the Darth Maul thing is going to be dropped even if it doesn't because it's just too big of an inclusion to just drop it. Oh, I know. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that they don't they don't drop this because if they do, I'm going to be very upset by that and I'm going to feel like it just is a missed opportunity if they turn around and do this. Yeah, so ends up coming down to, you know, she informs Maul of the mission's failure, everything that happened, uh, assumes... Uh, Voss's position, mm-hmm. uh, she made very sure to avoid telling Darth Maul about Han, Han at all, and just blaming everything on Beckett. So therefore, she's not. So she's still protecting Han in the general sense. She doesn't plan on turning on him, but she's not coming with him either. So yeah, because she leaves on the yacht. Though she made sure to give uh, Han a clean break from his debts to Crimson Dawn. Right, right. So. um Throughout the sequence, then after that, Han catches up to Beckett and confronts him. Han ultimately shoots Beckett first before he can shoot him, which leads us to people all saying that, you know, everybody knows about the big controversy with uh, Han shoots first. You know, that whole controversy where he, where he shoots Greedo first in the original cut. Yeah. And then Lucas went back and changed it where they both fire at the same time. Some people said this puts the whole thing to rest because Han shoots Beckett first without much of a thought. So, and rightfully so, because Beckett does say to him that he made a smart choice and he would have ultimately shot him and killed him this time. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so Kira then leaves in the, in the, uh, the yacht and Han and Chewbacca look at it and Han looks very upset and he's very, 
very confused by why she's ultimately leaving him without much explanation. So uh, that definitely leaves a lingering point to where I think eventually if there's a sequel, we're going to have a big reveal or a big showdown between Kira and Han. It'll probably ultimately result in Kira's death if I have to imagine how that will eventually go. That's what I'm thinking is probably going to end up happening too. Um, but this does end up leading to uh, Han and Chewbacca tracking Lando back down. Yeah, um... Oh, well, my, the little small point, um, Enfys Nest does offer Han a chance to join the Rebellion against the Empire, which he declines, saying that um, it's not for him. Exactly. And, but it gives him a, some coaxium to buy a ship of his own. Then it leads to, yeah, the Lando thing. Which, once they do, Han challenges him to another game of Sabacc for possession of... The Falcon. The Falcon. Mm-hmm. And this time, when uh, Lando goes to cheat hug uh han han noticed the little apparatus that um lando had under his sleeve to get the cards he needed Mm -hmm. so while he did that han made sure to uh take the cards out without lando noticing Mm -hmm. and ends up winning that game which ultimately Han wins, and Lando is the ultimate cheater. Which and ends of ending with uh, Han starting on his way to Tatooine, where Beckett let him know that a gangster is putting together an organization as the Falcon jumps into hyperspace. Yep, and end credits. And that is the movie. Um... So, yeah, so so my general thoughts on this movie, again, it, it, it goes back to the point of is, yes, does the movie not provide much in the way of advancing the Star Wars story? No. Is it a fun movie? Yes. And I enjoy it for it its fact that it's okay fun. It was at best. It's a fun movie. It's just it's just fun. That's really all the way I could describe it. It's there fun. There were little bits of nostalgia that you got when they introduce like the origins of some of these characters and some of these iconic things Mm -hmm. but i mean other than that it just did not really feel like a star wars movie to me you don't think so no well i mean i mean i mean again i mean i i I guess that i'm I'm hoping that this is not going to be a problem going forward because we're going to get so many of these movies that are not going to be the star wars that we know you know are the are are these other movies going to feel like star wars movies without the characters that we all know and love that's the question. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. I think also, too, is it's it's really the first Star Wars movie that we've seen, I mean, that really had no lightsaber action. I mean, there's no lightsabers. I mean, the only lightsaber we see in this movie is when Darth Maul ignites his in, in the hologram Yeah. at the end. Because even Rogue One had Darth Vader, and we saw some lightsaber action, so even Rogue One had it. Yeah, because this was only their second film that uh, didn't have a lightsaber fight in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the only thing is that the only reason why I put Rogue One in, in, in still including it is because Rogue One still had the lightsaber action where where Vader was pummeling through the the rebels on the on the ship at the end to try to find, get the Death Star plans. Yeah. But this really was the first Star Wars movie that just did not have really any lightsabers. Oh, exactly. And that and that right there is a pinpoint, you know, Star Wars thing. That's what Star Wars is known for. I don't know if you knew this bit about lightsabers, but um, when J.J. Abrams was coming in to direct Star Trek, 
Apparently, he came in. He came to George Lucas for advice, and guess what George Lucas told him? What's George, that? George Lucas said, "You have to add lightsabers." In when J.J. Abrams came to Lucas for advice when he was going to direct oh, Star yeah. Trek, Lucas said, "You just got to throw in lightsabers." That's you know that's just the way it is. It was it. That's funny to think about. Yeah. Um. So just a couple. Um. We found this page. It's it's 33 bits of trivia about the film. Certain things you may not know about this. So, Jason, I will read a couple of these off one by one, back and forth. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the lead actor for uh, Solo, uh, Alden Ehrenreich, was the first actor to audition for Lord and Miller. Hmm. And they saw many other actors, but... Alden's the one that really made the lasting impression. Which, which funny so the very first actor that auditioned for the role got the job. That's funny. That usually does not happen. But um, and then the script for the film was written by Lawrence Kasdan and his son. This means that Lawrence has had a hand in writing four Star Wars films, including Empire, Turn of the Jedi, Force Awakens, and this one. So it's kind of a neat little thing oh, yeah. to kind of bring him back into this a little bit. Alright, what was it here? Uh, Miller and Lord's removal from this film paved the way for Ron Howard to finish the film and even reshoot many scenes. This means that this is the first Star Wars film to ever have been directed by an Academy Award winner for directing. Interesting. Howard won the Golden Gong for A Beautiful Mind. George Lucas was nominated for the award with A New Hope, which means he was the first Oscar-nominated director of Star Wars when he directed The Phantom Menace. Go figure. Ron, now here's a little fun detail. Ron Howard famously turned down George Lucas' offer to direct The Phantom Menace. He also famously defended the movie and its young star, Jake Lloyd. Howard had previously directed Lucasfilm's Willow production, however, of course... He also starred in George Lucas' film American Graffiti and its sequel. Now, what's interesting about that is is that I'm with Ron Howard 100% on this. He defended The Phantom Menace, and he defended Jake Lloyd. Yeah. that I've defended that movie, too. I, that movie does not deserve all the shit that it gets. I agree. I don't think it does at all. And a lot of the things that people hated about it was one of two things. The whole midichlorians thing right. and Jar Jar. Yeah. See, I don't mind Jar Jar so much. The, the Metachlorian thing is a legitimate argument, and, and I get that argument because it's included in there, and you, you almost think with how it's included in The Phantom Menace, it's going to be a building block of what's to come in 2 and 3. It's going to be a big, important part of it. But yeah. it's literally dropped. It's dropped and never brought up again. So, yeah. But, yeah, I defend that movie to Kingdom Come because what people fail to realize is Star Wars was made for kids. It was a kid-like movie. Lucas made it the way he intended it to be. Plain and simple. That's the way it is. Exactly. Uh, what the hell is this here? Uh, Terrace Cassie was originally in Rogue One, uh, saw Train Jin to fight in that style, but it got cut, according to script writer Gary Weta. Hmm, that's interesting. And, uh, let's see here. So, while some fans have guessed that Solo... It's presumably the movie that Josh Trank, who was the director of the failed Fantastic Four and uh, Chronicle, had been hired to direct until he was removed from the job due to rumored poor on-and-off-the-set performance during the ill-fated Fantastic Four reboot. But this is not the case. 
Trank's film was likely a Boba Fett story. Either way, Kathleen Kennedy has confirmed they changed the order of the anthology films, confirming that Trank was never directing the solo movie. To me, it sounds like more Lucasfilm drama that I don't know if we're always getting the full truth of, thanks to Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. Uh, this is the first live-action Star Wars film that didn't feature C-3PO or R2-D2. Yeah. That's true. Because even they showed up in uh, Rogue One at the end. Exactly. Um... Let's see. The Golden Idol, from the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, can be seen sitting on a table in the meeting room of Paul Bettany's character, Drayden Voss. It's a tribute to Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones and, of course, Han Solo. Exactly. Then, here's another part here for you guys, for you Game of Thrones fans. Uh, Melior Clark made her name as the Mother of Dragons in Game of Thrones. Her appearance in this film means she is the tenth actor from that series to have a part in Star Wars. Many of those roles were cameos. However, Clark's role as a starring part is Kira, a love interest for Han. Huh. Which, I'm going to take a look here. Um, here's another good thing, too. We were just talking about Star Wars film and how things feel. Yeah. This is the first Star Wars film to not use the word Jedi... Or feature a Skywalker of any kind. Really? Oh, yeah, that's right. Because even in Rogue One, you know, Darth Vader was in there, so Anakin Skywalker was in there. And, of course, Jedi's name, the Jedi word was used in, in Rogue One yeah. quite a bit. So, yeah, that's true, too. Oh. Let's see, keep going. So, back to the dice. The dice in Han's land speeder, they're the ones that make it onto the Falcon, correct? They become a minor plot point in The Last Jedi, but are only seen in a deleted scene of The Force Awakens. Because in the pre, in 4, 5, and 6, they were only shown in The Falcon. They never really focused on them. Yeah. Which, this actually makes sense here. Um, Gwendolyn Christie... Yes, Captain uh, Phasma. ...was Captain Phasma... If you're a Game of Thrones fan, if I'm not mistaken, that is also the same person who is playing uh, Brienne of Tarth. Really? Yeah. Huh. That was the big name that I couldn't, that I remembered. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Oh, but anyways... What I want to start doing here is giving, you know, like, what our rating would be out of a scale of, like, 10. Yeah, we did that with our first two Star Wars movies, and we haven't really done that since then. So, um, go ahead and lead us off. What do you give this movie out of 10? I, me, personally, like I said, I wasn't as big of a fan of this as you were. Mm-hmm. It's just something worth seeing, yes, only for the sheer fact that it's a Star Wars movie. Right. But I don't think it has any replay value. I would say it's, like, a 6 out of 10. Okay. Um, I've actually seen the movie uh, movie twice. You know, kind of give it more thing to study. Um, after seeing it twice, um, of course, I did enjoy it more the first time than the second time, which usually is not the case for me. Usually, I enjoy movies more second time. Wasn't the case here. Um, so, I'm kind of stuck between a seven and a half and an eight. Um, it might take a third viewing for me to kind of affirmate that. So, I'm kind of seven and a half, eight-ish 
Which is understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, if anything, um, I had more fun with this movie over The Last Jedi. More fun because of the nostalgia and stuff. I, with the nostalgia, yes, but I personally, I just still thought that The Last Jedi was an all-around better movie. Well, right, and the thing of it is, too, the reason why Last Jedi also is a better Star Wars movie in general is because that movie has a lot more twists and turns in the story, and that movie did not feel at all predictable, because that movie definitely did not pan out in any way that we thought was going to happen with Snoke or Ray's parents or anything. Well, mind you, that's also why I'm worried about Ryan Johnson directing that trilogy, because that... All, that kind of almost ruined the movie for me. What? Which was all the twists and turns that he did for. Well, some of the things felt like cop outs. Yeah, like. There we go. That's a better word for it. Is the cop out you felt when you really didn't find out anything about Snoke, really. He's supposed to be this all powerful being. Well, this is why I'm hoping Abrams fixes that in, in 9, which I think that he probably will, considering Snoke was his original character to begin with. So I'm hoping that he intends on kind of breaking that down more yeah. so. So we'll see what ends up happening from here. We'll see what ends up happening. Um, okay, so that wraps up our uh, our solo discussions. Um, now um, you know where we stand then, on this. What, we, what do you have next on the agenda? Um, I already recorded and released the um, podcast for J.J. Abrams' first Star Trek movie. So I'll be doing uh, Into Darkness and Star Trek Beyond. Uh, coming up, my solo ones. Um, and then what do you have upcoming for yourself, solo-wise? Uh, solo-wise, I know that I had said, like, during one of our previous podcasts that my first solo one was going to be uh, on the movie Cube, but I'm actually going to be changing that up, probably make that a later released one, mm -hmm. only because I'm going to be doing this podcast on uh, Hereditary. Ah, yes, the movie they're calling This Generation's Exorcist. Which I have a lot of friends that are big horror movie fanatics, I, me being one of them as well. Mm -hmm. And to hear something like that really makes me sketchy, only because you've heard so many different times where a horror movie has been listed as the next big scary movie, right. only for it to be a complete dud. Mostly, yes. Horror has become a a, but, a a very dying genre in like the last ten years. We don't get that many good horror movies nowadays. The ones that I know that have seen this movie and given their thoughts on it have all been positive. That's good. Like news. actually said, like it actually did feel like a truly scary movie. It's genuinely scary, not relying on the gore factor. It actually yeah, had like it actually scares. made them jump a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was. Refreshing. Refreshing to hear. So it's giving me hopes for when I watch this and then put my podcast out. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that because I was on the fence about it, not knowing really what the movie was going to be like, if it was going to be any good. So, um, yeah, I'm glad to hear some of the early buzz, but I'll be really uh, excited to hear your uh, your podcast on that as well. I'll have to kind of listen to it in little pieces and parts until I see it, so therefore I don't blow the whole movie for myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so coming up for us, um, I know personally what I would like us to do uh, going forward. Um, I know, I think it's next Friday, uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom's coming out. Okay. Um, I'd like to, like to do that. Um, so uh, that comes out next week. I'm trying to think what else is coming up. Um, let me look and see what's coming uh, up. Me, personally, another th one that I want to do, though, for us as a big project here, Mike, uh -huh. is 
I want to try and get a couple people together that are willing to uh, um, guest host uh, with us on yes. in a podcast to go over the um, MCU. Yeah, I want to do that too. Um, as as we're going into this too, I wanted to mention that um, I have launched the podcast also on YouTube. So you can find us on YouTube too and you can listen to the podcast on there so you can subscribe and find it there. Um, I remember last time you and I were talking about how we wanted to get into maybe doing some um, some like video related podcasts if we, if we you know yeah, we, we can brought... I know that we released like the little teaser bit of us when we were at the theater for last Jedi right and I'm thinking too you know it'd be kind of cool to do like um, um, a live feed of us doing a review thing therefore people want to watch us live they can submit questions during the live feed yeah which would be kind of cool so we're gonna get into that and that of course will probably be done through either Facebook or YouTube live uh, depending on what will work better for us and we can get more people to join in. Um, but this is what's to come on the release schedule for movies. Okay. Um, so Jurassic World is coming out next Friday. That'll be a good one for us to do. Um, uh, let's see. July 4th is the first Purge. Um, that one would probably be more of me doing. Um, I like the Purge movies. Um, you probably could. I, I, I see them and I like them. Um, I guess we'll just kind of just see where we're at. Um, with that, um, July 6th is Ant-Man and the Wasp, so that's a Marvel movie. We gotta do Marvel, that's just what we do. Of course. At this point. Um, going down the list here, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, I'll probably not do it myself. Yeah. Unless you wanna do that with me, I'll probably do that one myself. I'm a big fan of those movies. Um, yeah, I was never really a fan of the Mission Impossible movies. I'm probably better suited to doing that one on my own. Probably. That's okay, though, I don't mind. Uh, and then uh, throughout the rest of August, you know, we really don't have a whole lot. The only movie I see here that um, may be interesting to see what the buzz is on is uh, Jason Statham's The Meg. Depends maybe. On, depends on what kind of buzz we're, we're receiving here with that. So maybe that's up in the air. See if it's worth it. Um, into September, September 14th, we have The Predator. Ooh, Okay. So that's going to be interesting. Now, the first trailer is out, and the, and the movie did look like it brought back some old, classical-style predator-ish uh, violence and action. Which is good to hear. Very good to hear. So um, that might be something, again, that's on our list to come. Um, and then in October, we've got Venom. Yes, Venom. I cannot wait for Venom. Yes, yes, I'm really looking forward to doing Venom, because Tom Hardy, finally, they get somebody playing the part that feels like they really could be Venom, essentially. Which is going to be great to see. Right. Um, October 19th, Halloween. Yes, I cannot wait for a Halloween reboot. Did you see the new trailer? Yes, I did. Yes, it looks like I it's going back to old very, school. very, very excited. Back to old school Halloween. I, I, I liked it too. It's finally good to get away from the crap they were putting out over the last few years with that. Um... Uh, going into November, I mean, I don't know how you were feeling about these Fantastic Beasts Harry Potter prequels. I, to be perfectly honest with you, I have yet to see the Fantastic Beasts. I have not seen them yet either. either, so maybe it'd be good for us to watch the first one and see if we want to do a podcast on that leading into, into the second one. Yeah. That might be worth a look. Um, and then finally in December, to end the year... Um, it looks like the only thing we really have coming out here 
is um, I don't know much about this. It's Peter Jackson's Mortal Engines, uh, Alita Battle Angel, Aquaman, back to DC again. That might be interesting. And then finally, the Transformers spinoff Bumblebee. That's about it to end the year. I'm looking forward to Aquaman only for the sole purpose of the fact that I think that Jason Momoa is an amazing actor. Yeah, and I think I thought he was one of the big highlights of Justice League. I thought he played an excellent Aquaman, and I really liked the uh, the kind of angle they took with his character in that. So, yeah, yeah, it'll be uh, that might be something that gets DC back on track, kind of like Wonder Woman kind of did. Well, we'll see what happens with that. We'll see. I think that movie's going to make or break with the direction that DC goes in Ford. So, let's hope that that goes well. Too early to tell. But I heard that there is an Aquaman trailer due out this week. There is. All yes, right. so we'll get our first look at it and see what we're kind of in store for. All right, but uh, unless you have anything else to add, Mike, I think that should be it. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's about it. Um, like we told you, look forward to more podcasts to come here. We're going to try to pump out some more here with our solo ones and our group one, which will probably next be Jurassic World, I probably would assume. Um, yeah, I would have definitely assumed that we're looking at Jurassic World as our next one. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, just um, continue to follow us. Look for us on YouTube, uh, CastBox, uh, our Facebook page. Um, we're still working on the Google Play thing, uh, but we're also on iTunes too. So uh, follow us there. Comment on the Facebook page. Give us movie requests. Please. Please. We would really appreciate it, you guys. Yeah, and we're going to get those guest hosts. Uh, try to get some guest hosts in here. Uh, too, for some cool stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's about it. Uh, thanks for joining us on this uh, solo Star Wars story. And I'm Jason Kapasik again. I'm Mike Winkler. And uh, that's a wrap. We'll see you next time. Here they come! Let me give you some advice. We assume everyone will betray you. And you will never be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Push it!